Welcome to LOA Today. Hi, I'm Walt Thiessen here with Louis D'Souza. Today is Monday, May the 13th, 2019. It's 8 a.m. in New York, 5 a.m. in Los Angeles, 1 p.m. in London. Sydney, Australia is at 10 p.m. Wherever you are in the world, thank you for joining us for another episode of LOA Today. Your daily dose of happy. <laughs> and we're happy that we are exploring once again the book Illusions by Richard Bach. Came out in the mid-1970s and was pretty much a pre-LOA era uh, rendition of how all this deliberate creation, conscious creation stuff really works. Um, I remember reading it for the first time right after it came out, being blown away by it, um, finding out that none of my friends had ever read it, and all of them thought it was crazy, but all I thought to myself was, wow, this is a great book. And and it's fun, Louis, to actually have gotten to the point where I can be talking about it with you because yeah. you also are a fan of it. It's like this, it, it's almost like coming out of the closet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, I, I admit it. I am a closet illusions fan <laughs> along with about 60 million other people. <laughs> not so closet thin. <laughs> I guess not, no. But still, it's a wonderful book. Um, the, the simplicity of it is just truly remarkable. And I, I, as we're reading it, especially the section we're going to be talking about today, chapter six, it really starts to hone in on basic concepts that we now talk about in LOA circles regularly, hmm. um, how creation works, how, what we think about manifests and so forth. And to think he was writing all this stuff before the LOA movement came along. I mean, there are other authors who have written stuff. I mean, Wallace Waddles, who spoke uh, inspired Rhonda Byrne to create the secret or um, Napoleon Hill, who in his very indirect way wrote about this kind of stuff. And a number of other people have written about it too. But uh, I think Richard was kind of like more on point than some of the others were. I mean, do you get that far sense? More, far more on point than anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's more specific <clears throat> until Abraham Hicks. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, Seth was writing it about the same time. Seth, of course, being uh, Seth, channeled by. Find us clear. No way. Well, that's because there's one really great thing about Abraham and Richard, but yeah. Abraham especially compared to Seth, and that is Abraham doesn't want to throw all of the information at us. They just throw enough at us to help us understand the basics of what's going on. Seth wants you to have an advanced uh, physics degree and a calculus degree in order to understand what the heck he's talking about. <laughs> so his his ability to, uh, you know, figure out how to present this to humans probably was a little bit off, but that's okay. I mean, there was good information in there. Seth has great information. It could probably be, be good for, for, for scientifically minded people, you know? Probably, although I suspect they'd also be the more resistant to it because they're the ones who would say, well, this, we know science doesn't work this way, mm -hmm. so we're going to reject it, you know? Yeah, um, that point too. <laughs> I mean, the, the detail, I got to give credit to uh, Jane Roberts for having uh, taken tremendous amounts of detail from Seth and putting it down in the books, but uh, boy, oh boy, it's, it's hard. To, it's like trying to read calculus when you have an algebra education. <laughs> Not easy to do. Not easy at all. Yeah. But anyway, chapter six. Uh, let, no, let's see. Chapter five. Where were we? Let's see. Do you remember what happened with chapter five? I'm trying to remember what the what the specific uh, plot line was. That was where. Oh, that was where uh, we left Donald in the field. Actually, Richard left Donald in the field with a crowd around him because he had just helped a, a man from a wheelchair 
um, get up from his wheelchair by saying, well, come on, get up. Let's go. We're going to go flying. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy says, what did you do to me? What did you do to me? <laughs> Not realizing, of course, he did it to himself. Jump in the plane. We're flying. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> That'll be $3 cash, please. <laughs> so. Money first, absolutely. So, <laughs> boy, does that sound familiar? Okay. Um, so anyway, that's the way Richard left them because he was pretty much terrified of all those crowds uh, coming around him, demanding to be healed and so forth. So he took off, and Chapter 6 begins with him saying, To this day, I can't say what it was came over me. It was just that doom feeling, and it drove me out, away even from the strange, curious fellow that was Donald Shimoda. If I have to fraternize with doom, even the Messiah himself is not powerful enough to make me hang around. It was quiet in the field, a silent huge meadow open to the sky. The only sound, a little stream I had to listen pretty hard to hear. Lonely again. A person gets used to being alone, but break it just for a day and you have to get used to it again, all over from the beginning. Okay, so it was fun for a while, I said aloud to the meadow. It was fun, and maybe I had a lot to learn from the guy. But I get enough of crowds even when they're happy. If they're scared, they're either going to crucify somebody or worship him. And I'm sorry, that's just too much. Saying that caught me short, because the words I had said could have been Shimoda's exactly. Why did he stay there? I had the sense to leave, and I was no Messiah at all. Illusions. What did he mean about illusions? That mattered more than anything he had said or done. Fierce he was when he said, it's all illusions, as though he could blast the idea into my head with sheer force. It was a problem, all right, and I needed its gift, but I still didn't know what he meant. I got a fire going after a while, cooked me up a kind of leftover goulash of bits and pieces of soybean meat and dry noodles and two hot dogs from three days ago that boiling should have been good for. The tool bag was crushed alongside the grocery box, and for no reason, I fetched out the 916 wrench and looked at it, wiped it clean, and stirred the goulash with it. <laughs> of course, what else are you going to do with the 916? <laughs> I was alone, mind you, no one to watch, so for fun, I tried floating it in the air the way he had done it. If I tossed it right straight up and blinked my eyes when it stopped going up and started coming down, I got a half-second feeling that it was floating. But then it thunked back down on the grass or on my knee, and the effect was shattered fast. But this very same wrench, how did he do it? If that's all illusion, Mr. Shimoda, then what is it that is real? Good question. And if this life is illusion, why do we live it at all? I gave up at last, tossed the wrench a couple more times, and quit. And quitting was suddenly glad, all at once happy that I was where I was and knew what I knew, even though it wasn't the answer to all existence or even a few illusions. Now, when I'm alone, sometimes I sing. And I'm not going to sing, Louis, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me and old paint. That's what I sang, patting the wing of the, of the fleet in true love for the thing. Remember, there was nobody to hear. We'll wander the sky, hopping round hayfields till one of us gives in. Music and words both I compose as I go along. And it won't give me, me it won't be me giving in paint unless you break a spar and then I'll just tie you up with a bailing wire and we'll go flying on. We'll go flying on. Good thing I'm not singing. <laughs> the verses are endless when I get going and happy, since the rhyming isn't that critical. I have stopped thinking about the problems of the Messiah. There was no way I could figure out who he was or what he meant, and so I stopped trying. And I guess that's what made me happy. 
Long about 10 o'clock, the fire ran down and so did my song. That's a long song, let me tell you. <laughs> Wherever you are, Donald Shimoda, I said, unrolling my blanket under the wing. I wish you happy flying and no crowds, if that is what you want. No, I take that back. I wish, dear lonely Messiah, that you find whatever it is that you want to find. His handbook fell out of the pocket as I took off my shirt, and I read it where it opened. The bond that links your true family is not one of blood, but of respect and joy in each other's life. Rarely do members of one family grow up under the same roof. Boy, is that true. Mm -hmm. I didn't see how that applied to me and reminded myself never to let a book replace my own thinking. I rustled down under the blanket, and then I was out like a bulb turned off, warm and dreamless under the sky and under several thousand stars that were illusions, maybe, but pretty ones for sure. When I came conscious again, it was just sunrise, rose light and gold shadows. I woke not because of the light, but because something was touching my head ever so gently. I took it for a hay stem floating there. Second time, I knew it was a bug swatted wildly and nearly broke my hand. A 916th end wrench is a hard chunk of iron to swat full speed. And I woke up fast. The wrench bounced off the aileron hinge, buried itself for a moment in the grass, then floated grandly to hover in the air again. And then as I watched, coming wide awake, it sank softly back to the ground and was still. By the time I thought to pick it up, it was just the same old 916s I knew and loved, just as heavy, just as eager to get at all those pesky nuts and bolts. Well, hell. I never say hell or damn. It's a carryover from an ego thing as a child. But I was truly puzzled, and there was nothing else to say. What was happening to my wrench? Donald Shimoda was 60 miles away, at least, over some horizon over here. from here. I hefted the thing, examined it, balanced it feeling like a prehistoric ape that cannot understand a wheel is turning before its very eyes. There had to be some simple reason. I gave up at last, annoyed, put it on the tool bag and lit the fire for my pan bread. There was no rush to go anywhere. Might stay here all day if I felt like it. The bread had risen well in the pan, was just ready to be turned, when I heard a sound in the sky to the west. There was no way that the sound could have been Shimoda's airplane. No way anybody could have tracked me to this one field out of millions of Midwest fields. But I knew it was him and started whistling. Interesting reaction. Watching the bread and the sky and trying to think of something very calm to say when he landed. It was the travel air, all right. Flew in low over the feet, pulled up steep in a show-off turn, slipped down through the air and landed 60 miles per hour the speed of travel air ought to land. He pulled alongside and shut down his engine. I didn't say anything. Waved, but didn't say a word. I did stop whistling. He got out of the cockpit and walked to the fire. Hi, Richard. You're late, I said. Almost burned the pan bread. Sorry. I handed him a cup of stream water and a tin plate with half the pan bread and a chunk of margarine. He has no taste. Butter is so much better than margarine. <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> okay. How'd it go, I said. Went okay, he said with an instant half-smile. I escaped with my life. <laughs> Had some doubts you would. He ate the bread for a while in silence. You know, he said at last, contemplating his meal, this is really terrible stuff. <laughs> well, nobody says you have to eat my pan bread, I said crossly. Why does everybody hate my pan bread? Nobody likes my pan bread. Why is that, ascended master? Well, he grinned. 
and I'm speaking as God now, I'd say that you believe that it's good and that therefore it does taste good to you. Try it without deeply believing what you believe, and it's sort of like a fire after a flood in a flour mill, don't you think? You meant to put the grass in, I guess. Sorry, fell in off my sleeve somehow. But don't you think the basic bread itself, not the grass or the little charred part there, the basic pan bread, don't you think? Terrible, he said, handing me back all but a bite of what I had handed to him. I'd rather starve. Still have the peaches? <laughs> in the box. How had he found me in this field? A 28-foot wingspan and 10,000 miles of prairie farmland is not an easy target, looking into the sun especially. But I vowed not to ask. If he wanted to tell me, he would tell me. Okay, how did you find me? I said, I could have landed anywhere. <laughs> His willpower is a little bit uh, lame here. <laughs> he had opened the peach can and was eating peaches with a knife. Not an easy trick. Like attracts like, he muttered, missing a peach slice. Oh, cosmic law. Oh. I finished my bread and then scraped the pan with sand from the stream. That sure is good bread. Do you mind explaining how is it that I am like your esteemed self, or did by like you mean the airplanes are alike, sort of? Well, we miracle workers got to stick together, he said. The sentence was both kind and horrifying, the way he said it. Uh, Don, referring to your last comment, perhaps you'd like to tell me what you had in mind, we miracle workers? Well, from the position of the 916th on the tool bag, I'd say you were running the old levitate the end wrench trick this morning. Tell me if I'm wrong. It wasn't running anything. I woke up and the thing woke me up by itself. Oh, by itself. He was laughing at me. Yes, by itself. Your understanding of your miracle working, Richard, is as thorough as your understanding of bread baking. I didn't reply to that. Just eased myself down on my bedroll and was quiet as could be. If he had something to say, he could say it in his own good time. Some of us start learning these things subconsciously. Our waking mind won't accept it, so we do our miracles in our sleep. He watched the sky in the first clouds of the day. Don't be impatient, Richard. We're all on the way to learning more. He will come to you a little faster now, and you'll be a wise old spiritual maestro before you know it. What do you mean before I know it? I don't want to know it. I don't want to know anything. Yes, you don't want to know anything. Well... I want to know why the world is and what it is and why I live here and where I'm going next. I want to know that. How to fly without, without an airplane if I had a wish. Sorry? Sorry what? Doesn't work that way. If you learn what this world is, how it works, you automatically start getting miracles or what will be called miracles. But, of course, nothing is miraculous. Learn what the magician knows and it's not magic anymore. He looked away from the sky. You're like everyone else. You already know this stuff. You're just not aware that you know it yet. I don't recall, I said. I don't recall you're asking me whether I want to learn this thing, whatever it is that has brought you crowds and misery all your life. Seems to have slipped my mind. As soon as I said the words I knew he was going to say, I'd remember later and that he'd be right. Don't you just hate it when your friends are right? <laughs> annoying. Annoying. Very annoying. He stretched out in the grass, the last of the flower in its bag for a pillow. Look, you don't have to worry about the crowds. They can't touch you unless you want them to. You're magic, remember? Foof, you're invisible and walk through the doors. Crowd got you at Troy, didn't it? Did I say I didn't want them to? I allowed that. I liked it. 
there's a little ham in all of us, or we never make it as masters. But didn't you quit? Didn't I read? Well, the way things were going, I was turning into the one and only full-time messiah, and that job, I just quit cold. But I can't unlearn what I've spent lifetimes coming to know, can I? I closed my eyes and crunched a haystem. Look, Donald, what are you trying to tell me? Why don't you come right out and say, what is going on? It was quiet for a long time, and then he said, maybe you ought to tell me. You tell me what I'm trying to say, and I'll correct you if you're going wrong. I thought about that a minute and decided to surprise him. Okay, I'll tell you. I practiced, then pausing to see how long he could wait if what I said didn't come out too fluent. The sun was high enough now to be warm, and way off in some hidden field, a farmer worked a diesel tractor cultivating corn on Sunday. Okay, I'll tell you. First of all, it was no coincidence when I first saw you landed down in the field at Farish, right? He was quiet as the hay growing. And second of all, you and I have some kind of mystical agreement, which apparently I have forgotten and you haven't. Only a soft wind blowing and the distant tractor sound wafting back and forth with it. There was part of me listening that didn't think what I said was fiction. I was making up a true story. I'm, I'm going to say that we met, I don't know, three or four thousand years ago, give or take a day. We like the same kind of adventures. We probably hate the same sort of destroyers. Learn with about as much fun, about as fast as each other. You've got a better memory. Our meeting again is what you mean by like attracts like. That you said. I picked a new haystack. How am I doing? Hmm. For a while, I thought it was going to be a long haul, he said. It is going to be a long haul, but I think there's a slim outside chance that you might make it this time. Keep talking. That's the way I feel when I do a podcast, by the way. <laughs> All right. Well, for another thing, I don't have to keep talking because you already know what things people know. But if I didn't say these things, you wouldn't know what I think that I know. And without that, I can't learn any of the, of the things I want to learn. I put down my haystem. What's in it for you, Don? Why do you bother with people like me? Whenever somebody is advanced as you are, he gets all of these miracle powers as byproducts. You don't need me. You don't need anything at all from this world. I turned my head and looked at him. His eyes were closed. You mean like gas in the travel air, he said? Right, I said. So all there is left in the world is boredom. There are no adventures when you know that you can't be troubled by anything on this earth. Your only problem is that you don't have any problems. That, I thought, was a terrific piece of talking. You missed there, he said. Tell me why I quit my job. Do you know why I quit the Messiah job? Crowds, you said. Everything wanted, Everybody wanting to, you to do their miracles for them. Yeah, not the first, the second. Crowdophobia is your cross, not mine. It's not crowds that wear me. It's the kind of crowd that doesn't care at all about what I came to say. You can walk New York to London on the ocean. You can pull gold coins out forever and still not make them care, you know? When he said that, he looked lonelier than I had ever seen a man still alive. He didn't need food or shelter or money or fame. He was dying of his need to say what he knew, and nobody cared enough to listen. I frowned at him so as not to cry. Well, you asked for it, I said. If your happiness depends on what somebody else does, I guess you do have a problem. He jerked his head up, and his eyes blazed as though I had hit him with a wrench. I thought all at once that 
I would not be wise to get this guy mad at me. A guy, a man fries quick, struck by lightning. And then he smiled that half-second smile. You know what, Richard? He said slowly. You are right. He was quiet again, tranced almost by what I had said. Not noticing, I went on talking to him for hours about how we had met and what there was to learn, all these ideas firing through my head like morning comets and daylight meteors. He lay very still in the grass, not moving, not saying a word. And by noon, I finished my version of the universe and all things that dwelled therein. And I feel I've barely begun, Don. There's so much to say. How do I know all this? How come is that? He didn't answer. Look, if you expect me to answer my own questions, I confess that I do not know. What can I say? Why can't I say all these things now when I've never even tried before? What has happened to me? Still no answer. Don, it's okay for you to talk now, please. He didn't say a word. I had explained the panorama of life to him, and my messiah, as though he had heard all he needed in that one chance word about his happiness, had fallen fast asleep. <laughs> Another one of my fears as a podcast uh, host, and that well, is well, my eyes are going to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> that would be uh, interesting. <laughs> but we got to a couple of the basic concepts there. Like attracts like. Mm. Total LOA right there. Fascinating how uh, when when you read it in a book that was written before The Secret, before Abraham Hicks. <clears throat> actually, I think it was really before Seth got going in a big way. Mm. It, it, it kind of you, you kind of say to yourself, "Wow, that that's pretty hot." I mean, he—that's a phrase we use today. There are a lot of phrases that were written by past authors that we don't use. That one we use, "like attracts like." Yeah, I'll give you your limitations and now yours. There's quite a that's few right. that we use from this book. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, anything particular grab your attention from that chapter besides uh, "like attracts like"? Um. Yeah, he was talking about. Um, doing things in your dreams before you do them in the physical. Mm, yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's many things I've done in my dreams, which I haven't managed to do physically. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can kind of see the whole picture of, of dreaming and, and sleeping, uh, has been made clear by Abram to a length and breadth, which have never been before heard. <clears throat> mm. And Abram points out that dreaming is only a fraction, just a tiny, tiny, tidy amount of your sleep where I'd never really thought about that before. Oh you yeah. Kind of think that you dream for a long time, don't you? you kind of. Yeah, but you really don't. Dreams are long well, stories, but they actually happen in seconds. <laughs> I mean, when, when you're, Toward the, the end of the night's sleep, you tend, that's when they have your full feature, as they often call it, the one that lasts about 45 minutes. But yeah. your first dream lasts about a second. There's like six or seven dream cycles in the night, and they get progressively longer as, as the night goes on. And, and most of the night, you're not in the dream state. Most of the night, you're in that deep sleep where you're just kind of slumbering. But you're not floating ranches, are you, when you dream? <laughs> I, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's a rare instance for me to remember a dream. Mm. You know, when I do remember them, I, well, I have probably the, the common reaction. Most often I dismiss them, you know, but on those occasions where I actually give them some credence or think about them and get past the fact that they sound absolutely insane, uh, I can't say that I've ever tried to float a, a 916th wrench, mm. 
<laughs> but I have tried to create stuff that didn't previously exist in my mind. So, I mean, just not as grand as, you know, doing a magician's trick. That's all. <laughs> what was interesting is when I was doing Tai Chi, I, I learned, um, I, I became a, uh, my dreams became a lot clearer. Mm. And I started to learn that there was a link between my Tai Chi and my out-of-body experiences. So Ooh. I would be dreaming Tai Chi moves and then I'd, I'd land up consciously <laughs> aware that I was dreaming. And then I would, then I would consciously take over the dream and do things. Um, and I remember flying through the arms of a chair and going round and round and practicing up and down and all the rest of it. And, um, mm-hmm. Then I would do Tai Chi and when I was outside and then I would run and then I would fly in the air and I'd, I'd fly for a while and then I'd fall. And then Ooh. Um, that, that, that was kind of one of the beginning stages of my out-of-body experiences is, is, is going from the dream state to the out-of-body state. So you took the 916th trick and applied it to yourself, to your body. What's the 916 trick? That's the one where you float the end wrench. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much about wrenches. So I didn't I didn't memorize that. <laughs> yeah, so um it's it's interesting because there are many times where we will face fears in our dreams which we will not necessarily want to do in the physical. Mm. Um and I found that I've um dealt with problems in the dream state quite often that have actually solved problems in the physical so that I haven't actually had to manifest them physically. It's kind of like clearing up the vibration in, in, in the dream state so that, that the active vibration doesn't manifest in the physical, which, believe me, with some accidents and some other things, it's much better to do it in the dream state than the <laughs> <laughs> um, So, yeah, it's it's really quite interesting. Um, that the, he was he was pointing that out that you can do quite a few things when when in the dream state when when you don't have the the mind with its old programming kicking in all the time because that's what Abram says about sleep state is that you pause the mind mm-hmm. so your negative thinking is stopped which equals meditation. So that's why we regenerate when we're sleeping is because we don't have any negative thoughts. Now, we could regenerate while we're wide awake if we only had positive thoughts. Interesting thing there. It just occurred to me as you were describing that. You talked about how we quiet the mind. The mind basically goes quiet, but we're thinking these thoughts. So, Which thoughts? You're talking about dreams now. In the dream state, right. Yeah, but in the dream state, it's only for a very short period of time. The rest of the time, the brain is paused. Oh, okay. So, so you're, you're acknowledging that there is brain activity during the actual dream yeah. time. It's just the rest of it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cause I was trying to, to, to no, kind of piece I, together. I How do you same, have a- I had the same stumbling block when I was looking at it initially. Oh, okay. But then it was kind of made clear that, yeah, the dream state is such a short state. That's why I brought it up as well. Oh, okay. That dreaming is very, very short. Yeah. That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Now it also kind of addresses a, point that I remember bringing up and I remember I'm trying to remember who had made the alternate point Abraham makes the point that we stop attracting when we're in our sleep yeah yeah and I can't remember who it was who said oh it's Neville Goddard 
who says that we do some of our best attracting when we're asleep mm. and especially as we're going to sleep. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was trying to kind of resolve that apparently glaring contradiction. You know, mm-hmm. oh, how could that possibly be? I think you just resolved it by pointing out that there's brain activity while we're dreaming and not, the rest of the time. And that makes a lot of sense. When you study dream states and, and the alpha beta and what all, all the rest of it, there's the REM state, which I think is the dream state. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and if you, if you look at the amount of time you spend in REM versus the beta or alpha or whatever it is, um, you, you will find that the larger portion of it by far is when the brain is more still when it's not necessarily still from the measurement point of view, but still mm-hmm. from an attraction point of view. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And that, uh, th- that's an interesting thing because what it basically means is that <laughs> I almost hesitate to say this when I consider how crazy my dreams sometimes seem, but I'm doing some of my craziest attracting when I'm asleep. <laughs> uh, that's, that's what I think they're pointing out. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. um, you know, I've been flying and, uh, I mean, if I start telling you some of my out of body experiences and dreams, it's, it's, they just out of this world. They're not in this mm. world at all. So, yeah. So you do all of your out of body travel when you're asleep? Well, if I'm talking about out of body, I'm not talking about sleep at all. I'm talking about, either immediately going to full conscious out of body, or I'm talking about going from dream state to full body, full out of full conscious state. You cannot call the out of body state dream state because it's two different states. One is a picture or a story that you remember um, when you wake up. And the other one is you consciously directing it. So what people often call lucid dreaming. Yeah. Okay. Just give me a second. I want to turn off an alarm that's just happened in the house. It's quite bothering. That's all right. While you're doing that, I'll take a moment to remind everybody about subscribing to the podcast because uh, when you're a subscriber, of course, you get not only this episode, but all of the episodes coming right to your smartphone uh, every single time that we record them. Um, so it's very simple to do. Just go to your uh, to, uh, to our homepage, I should say, at LOAToday.net. Uh, just go to that web page, and right at the top, you will see a link appropriate for your device, whether it's an iPhone, an Android, and we've even built in stuff for um, Windows PC users and Mac users as well. Um, Windows PC users, there's not actually a link there because there's not a direct way to do a click and subscribe on a PC. But uh, whichever device you have, it just shows you what to click on and what to do in order to subscribe. Follow through, and once you're all done, it just walks you right through it. Uh, once you're all done, then, uh, you know, Share the fact that you're you're subscribed and watching and listening to uh, these videos or to the podcast. Actually, most people just listen to the audio podcast. Share it with other people on social media. Share it with friends so that other people can know about getting their daily dose of happy. And that's how we spread the word and get more and more people getting their daily doses of happy. That's how we get smiling faces, Louie. Yeah, absolutely. I see somebody's <laughs> popped on there as another video. Is that is that is that somebody or the the live one? Yeah. No, that's that's what we that's use to do the streaming one. now. Yeah, that's the streaming channel. Yeah, I had I had to uh, I, I had to set up a second computer at my end to do the streaming because if using the method that I'm now using, if I were to do it with just you and me, no one would ever see me. They'd only see you. <laughs> so oh, okay. by doing it this way, it can balance back and forth between the two of us. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
it gets complicated. <laughs> it does. It does. I mean, when I, when I was first presented with that problem, I said, well, how the heck do you solve that? And then it occurred to me, ah, another computer, of course. <laughs> and fortunately, I had one sitting right here, so it worked out beautifully. So I just wanted to have a look at illusions. There was something else that I wanted to talk about there. Yeah. Well, there's a lot in that chapter to draw from. A lot of it is about Richard learning. I, I love the way Donald says, you know, I thought it was going to be a long haul. It is going to be a long haul, but there's a slim outside chance you're going to make it. That's the way I often feel doing these podcasts. <laughs> there's an outside chance I might actually learn how this stuff really works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, watching you, I've, I've, I've got the idea that it's a lot more complicated than I originally thought. <laughs> um, it, it, it's very simple. It's simple, but it's not easy. Mm. The concept itself is, is as simple as, you know, a, a kindergartner could understand and explain. Applying it, that's the hard part. And all, getting past all the, the mislearnings that we have from a lifetime of mislearnings and you know, mistakes and trials and tribulations and, no, oh, I didn't get the right result and I don't even know what the result, right result is anymore. And, yeah, if you do that long enough, it can be quite confusing. Mm. Um, Joel Elson and I have talked a lot about how the people who are most fortunate are the ones who learn this stuff at a young age because they have so much less to unlearn. So mm. they get there faster. It's just, it's just, they can just implement it almost immediately, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> sometimes people say to me, Louis, you're an old soul. And I say, no, I'm not. I'm a young soul. I just learn fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting mind game there because you don't want to be, Thinking of yourself as old, you want to think of yourself as young. So, yeah, you're a young soul. Why not? Absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah. I, I think of myself sometimes like Benjamin Button. You know, I'm getting younger as the years go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there was um, an interview I went for, and it was with Chase Manhattan Bank. And um, I was supposed to do a video conference call. So I, I go into the streets of London, go to this huge, massive building, rock up there. And the lady who was supposed to coordinate me was off sick. Mm -hmm. So eventually a guard was told because of the telephone calls that we had had to put a little badge on me and send me up to the 20th floor and to go to room 506 or some or 2001 or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm like, totally confused about all this. I'm, I've just walked into the country. I've just got an interview with Chase Manhattan Bank. <laughs> and it's not only an interview, it's a video conference interview. Right, and The right. person who's supposed to be guiding me through it is not there. <laughs> so I walk to the left, go up the stairs, you know, go, go up, turn right, and look for the, the door numbers, find, find the right one. And as I walk in, there's the whole video conference set up and there's like 20 people looking at me from the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the interview. <laughs> and uh, uh, I totally flunked that. Bad. <laughs> yeah, that would so, be a bit overwhelming. It was so bad, it was, uh, it was embarrassing. Um, the interesting thing about being a contractor in London is I, I learned to be a far better interviewer than the people who are interviewing me. Oh, really? Um, so because I'd had so many of them and I'd had so yeah. much practice. I remember one guy asked me, he said, uh, Louis, how do you, how do you eat an apple? 
I said, what's okay. that got to do with anything? What's the relevance? <clears throat> he said, okay. Marked in his little thing there. <laughs> and I learned afterwards that he was trying to, trying to see how flexible I was. And that was a test. <laughs> Horribly. <laughs> you know, I could have just said, I oh, like cutting it down the middle and cutting it in quarters and then peeling off the skin and eating it or whatever. So I like eating them. I um, wonder how you would have responded to my answer. My answer, as soon as you said it was one bite at a time, I'm not sure how that would have gone over. But... <laughs> he probably would have laughed. It probably would have been a good answer. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> But the reason I bring this up is because I had a, a fantastic interview for the Metropolitan Police with an, huh. a really nice lady. And I knew without any doubt in my mind, 100% I had that job. Mm. No doubt in my mind whatsoever. And I get the phone call saying you didn't get the job. Oh, wow. And I was absolutely flabbergasted. I've never been that sure and I've never been that flabbergasted in my life before. Huh. Never. And I was, um, it was the end of the year and I decided to go to South Africa for Christmas and New Year. And I had totally stopped looking for any other interviews. I just totally flummoxed. I was just more confused than I'd ever been in my life. And I was not going for any other interviews because I knew that job was mine. So I'm just about to go off to holiday or to South Africa and I get the phone call saying, hey, um, th this is the Met Police, um, and I've <clears throat> um, the, the, the job that you didn't get, the guy's wife's just gone pregnant, and he's going back to South Africa. He was a South African too. So he's, you know, we, we, we would like you to take the job because you were next in line and you, you were a good interview. And I was like, wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this makes sense now. This makes sense. And then the, yeah. then the lady said, well, I want you to come on this and this date. And this and this date was the date I flew back from South Africa. After oh, my God. Of course. <laughs> of so course. I had a month to give my resignation for the current job. I had a month in South Africa. And I started as soon as I got back. <laughs> I've often wondered, why is it that the law of attraction cuts everything so fine? I, I mean, know. literally. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I've experienced the same thing and for the same reason, giving up because that's what you did. You gave yeah. up. I just you know? totally, totally gave up. You, you just threw in all the resistance. You threw it all away. So, okay, I quit. And then, then everything shows up. I quit. And it shows up in perfect timing. And that's it. Yeah. Bang. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, when the, I think the first time that happens, it's really disorienting. Yeah, very, very. You know, like what just, that what was just so happened? so powerful, Walt. You have no idea. Oh, actually, I do have an idea. <laughs> that job, the clarity that I um, – and, and the shock that I didn't get it, and, and then the clarity when I did get it, and then the timing is just blew me away. But, and, of course, the part that we will tend to skip in our experience is the recognition of you were right. You did have it. Yeah. <laughs> it just didn't happen in the sequence you had in mind, and so you thought you didn't have it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, – <clears throat> So I'm just going to look here because I really wanted to go through the story quickly. Um, mm -hmm. I wish I had the book because I can't find the book at the moment. So I'm looking at it digitally, which is a bit messy. Ah, yes. Well, if there's a part you need to kind of reference, let me know. I, I can probably find it for you quicker. But um, it's, it's definitely a fun chapter, that's for sure. What we really see is we see Richard learning. Yeah. And in Richard's learning, I think that's – 
part of what sucks us into the book because I felt like the learner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still you do. You really times. resonate with, um, yeah. with, with, with Richard because his kind of questions are your kind of questions. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It says the bond that links your family is not one of blood, one of respect and joy in each other's life. And, you know, not re- really does it um, happen under the same family. So right. that, that just to me is just so, so, so true. You know, it's, oh, yeah. you know, if you're fortunate enough to have one of those individuals in your family and you're really lucky or two, you know, whatever. Um, but you, you find them out in life. So you start stopping to look at your family as being your family and you start looking at those who you resonate with mm-hmm. um, as being your family. And, um, and and it does, um, yeah. Ramdas bumped into an individual once, and uh, he looked at this guy and he just smiled from ear to ear. He said, "I know you, I know you." And the guy said, "I know you too." And they'd never met before in their life, and it was just like such an appreciation and respect instantly, mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. instantly. And of course, Ramdas, being the incredible orator he is, made it made such a meal out of that whole. Oh, uh, sure. Meet up, which you just I just got goosebumps thinking about it. But he, you know, he's just an orator par excellence. But mm-hmm. um, it was just an, very, very interesting in my own life when I bumped into individuals. Like <clears throat> there was a, a lady who was coming to stay with us for a month, and um, I was so excited before she came. And we had the most amazing time. I could talk for hours about um, the time we had together, and then she she left again. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, it was so exciting. So, so, so exciting. And, um, you could feel it. You start being able to feel before the person has arrived that yes. something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your inner self knows, and Abram's talked about that many, many times, um, that your, that your inner, inner self, or even Caroline Mace has said, you know, your, your, your dream state or your inner state was at the seminar before you came. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. I remember one of the Jinshin courses I came to and I landed up sitting right next to this girl. And this girl happened to go to the same uh, education place as me, knew my Kung Fu instructor um, and everything. <laughs> like, we were just sitting there. It's like same country, same place of study, same friends, and it was just, what are the chances of me sitting next to that person? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And That's what a bond phenomenal. we had as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a really nice bond. And with her daughter, um, who was a, a very, very young girl who just loved sitting on my lap. And she said, well, she just doesn't like people that much at all. <laughs> just sitting there having the greatest time with me. At all. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's just really, really interesting how the, the synchronicity works and how that bond does link true family and is not one necessarily of blood. Yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, one of the things I learned too, and this is kind of the flip side of it, uh, the the quote you, you mentioned, of course, comes from the Messiah's Handbook, which is the yeah. book that Richard carries that Donald gave him. And uh, in that uh, quote, it, it does talk about it being rare in your own blood family. Mm. Um, but what I've also learned is that it is there in your blood family if you can look past your own prejudices about your family. Well, if you can understand that what you don't like about them is being your teacher, yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's and that's a big part that's of it. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm very I'm very pleased and privileged to have reached the point in my life where I have a brother and sister, and I was not terribly close to either one of them, certainly not to my sister growing up. My sister and I were at odds with each other practically from day one. and, and Well, not from day one, from about age five or six and, and they're on. Um, and, and it was just like this contest going on all the time. And my brother was off in Never Never Land. I mean, he, <laughs> I mean, there, there's a story I told one time on the podcast about how we went to Disney World when we were quite young and my brother got lost. Well, he wasn't lost. He was just stuck two exhibits back and we didn't know it. You know, he was, he felt fine. He was enjoying himself and so forth. Just oblivious to the fact that we were gone. You know, <laughs> that was my brother and my sister and I were, were, you know, always like her, like that kind of a thing. So to grow up and get to the point where we just have with both of them, with my sister and with my brother, I have terrific relationships and we're all into law of attraction. We're all like-minded about this mm. stuff. If we had predicted that, if any one of us had predicted that even 30 years ago, we would have laughed at each other. Like, no way, that's not going to happen. But it did. So I, that's where I bring my point in. If, if you can get past the crazinesses, you know, the, the, the crazy stuff that we put in the way that say, oh, I don't like this about them or I don't like that about them and they don't like this about me and they don't like that about me. If you put all that stuff aside, you actually do find that you're on the same wavelength. And that is a reason why you were there in the first place. That is why you came into this life together that you are on the same wavelength. It's just you have to be aware of the darn thing. <laughs> so, so, Walt, if you were a non-physical entity and you wanted to really make your mark at understanding life and, and, and <clears throat> chewing the best of it and, and all the rest of it, you're not likely to choose a family that's already like that. You're likely to choose one that's going to be very religious, go to church every Sunday and all the rest of it so that you can break <laughs> up hives and go find your own path and go and, and, and that's what I saw in my own life and with mm. other people I've seen many times um, have chosen very wisely <laughs> <laughs> wisely that's another word for really making things tough for ourselves <laughs> yes uh, I guess that's where wisdom comes from but uh, yeah it, it, I, I've still not come to terms completely with the idea of what they call a soul contract. The idea that um, when we're in the pre-life phase, so to speak, when we're in the non-physical and we make these agreements with each other to come here and live life under certain circumstances and put ourselves through misery and hell and, and all that. I, I haven't come totally to terms with that. I'm not totally buying into it. I, I buy into it a lot more than I used understanding. to. Abram, you know, Abram kind of points out very clearly that there is, Richard Bach points it out as well, there's no um, problem without a solution in its hands for you. So yeah. mm -hmm. you stop looking at that negative side as negative and you start seeing it as very, very positive. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And I, I, I do agree with that. The thing that I, I'm not quite sure about is do we actively – choose specifically to come with these particular beings? In other words, do we all choose to be the actors in our joint play together before we get here? That's the part I'm not 100% sure about. Well, we come here to create our own reality, and there are those who, who are vibrational match will bump into us. So we kind of have an idea what vibration we're going to be allowing um, because we're coming at a certain vibration and we know we're going to go up or down a little bit from there. So it's not going to be mm -hmm. a massive contrast. So we, we kind of have an idea of who, who will be resonant to whatever 
we do and, you know, whatever we vibrate. So those people. But of course, the, the family members that we come into life with, though, who we, we butt heads against, that's not a vibrational match in that sense. That's more like a vibrational collision. Well, <laughs> it's interesting because you wouldn't be born into that family unless you were a match initially. Yeah. Um, but but, he, so but the here's a question. He's, come along here's a question, way. though. Here's a question, though. In source energy, is there anyone we're not a vibrational match to? Well, it, somebody said to Abram that, you know, there's lots of people like you who are presenting information, but yours is just so much clearer. And they were saying, yes, but there are people at different vibration levels in the non-physical who are, I don't think those are the exact words I use, but that's kind of the impression I got, that there are different, you know, different vibrations and, and different focuses and different clarities. So um, I would say, no, they're not. <clears throat> Your non-physicals are, are also on different levels. They might be pure positive energy, but they'll have different focuses. And yeah. consequently different vibrations, consequently different levels. So, yeah. And, and I would add that those um, vibrations change. They don't stay constant. I don't. You're right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's a very fluid situation. And so now all of a sudden I'm back to, well, then why did I conclude that I was more in vibrational alignment with this person in the non-physical and conclude later on that, yes, I am more in vibration with this person, even though I went through a bunch of, of hell with them or whatever. Why is that true for these beings and not those beings? Mm. Those are the beings over there that had nothing to do with my life. No, they're, but they're all part of the same source of energy. What was it about them in that non-physical plane that was in alignment and then out of alignment and when we got here and then in alignment, what was it about? There, there's something about that. Cause that's what the soul contract thing implies. It's just in alignment, out of alignment, in alignment. What's that about? And I haven't totally figured that part out. That's no, the part that doesn't quite work. Bit, um, a bit of a question mark for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure, but anyway, it is interesting. I am becoming yeah. more and more attuned to the idea of a soul contract. I'm just not totally on board yet, but I'm, I'll get there eventually. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> that, that, that's my pattern. Just understand that we always have choices. So as much as we may have made contracts beforehand, we still have the choice to agree with what that is or play the game of the experience with that individual or change it. So, Well, that's just it. I think what happens is I, I, when I say that I think I'll get there, I do think I'll get there. I just don't promise that when I get there, it's going to look like what it looks like right now. <laughs> it's going to look a little bit different well, by the time I get there. What it looks like is what somebody's portrayed it to be, and and you can agree with parts of that, not other mm-hmm. parts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And Walt will go his own way. <laughs> always, always. Wouldn't want yeah. anything else. <laughs> well, that's that's the way life is supposed to be. Otherwise, there wouldn't be diversity. There wouldn't be yeah. different people, different vibrations, different experiences, different lives. Mm. Different lives, different lifetimes. It'd be all sameness. Boy, is that a dull concept. (laughs) 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 Now I know how it is. I put my audience to sleep. I just talk to them about sameness. (laughs) You know, I once said to my mentor, after reading all these spiritual books on on a bookshelf, I said to her, I said to her, the guys are always saying the same thing, but in a slightly <laughs> different way. And she said, um, and, and, and a lot of them are repeating the same thing again and again. She said, well, if it works, they use it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if it works, they use it. That's good. 
I couldn't argue with that. It's like, <laughs> that's true. And, uh, you know, when I realize I, I often repeat myself on the podcast, it works. So I use it, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. I don't have to justify it because I'm saying it may be a slightly different way in each circumstance mm -hmm. fit a different audience. So that to me is the interesting part, <clears throat> looking at things in a different way in each circumstance, mm. because to me, that's how I understand. That's how I, I, that's how I grok, to borrow from another writer. Grok. Uh, grok. Yeah, that's a Heinlein phrase, Robert Heinlein. <laughs> okay. Grokking, grokking is, is, to grok, G-R-O-K, is to totally and deeply uh, understand completely in all ways. So uh -huh. it, it, it's 100% understanding. A little bit different, yes. <laughs> a little bit different. Yeah. Well, so yeah. the first time I heard that word, it was so totally Greek to me. <laughs> <laughs> What are they on? So, yeah, um, another chapter done, chapter six. Uh, yeah, I really, really liked that. There were so many different pieces there that I that I liked and I associated with. Um, looking forward to next week doing the seven. How many chapters are there in total again? They're like 19, but we're more than halfway done. I mean, we're like halfway. You can see we're halfway through the book just yeah, from the yeah. way the book is folded. Um, so I think the chapters get kind of short after this. But uh no, that's just the way he wrote it. That's fine. I just keep thinking in this chapter, this is the chapter that introduced the phrase like attracts like. Yes. And he did it in such a beautiful low key manner, just almost offhand. Like, you know, this is, oh, this is really nothing, but here it is just for the sake of it. And I read it and I said, wow. I remember that reaction the mm. first time I read the book. That was just it. Wow. Like attracts like. And I started running through all the different things that I knew about the physical universe and asking myself, well, is it true? Does like attract like? Um, in fact, I remember this as something that came up shortly after I became aware of law of attraction. Somebody asked a really good question in one of the groups that um, led to a question that I've never fully answered. Um, in fact, I went to hear Abraham Hicks a year ago, uh, hmm. a year ago, April, and with the intention in mind of getting in the chair and asking this question. Then when I got there, I decided it really wasn't important. That was not what I needed to work on. But the question was simple. If you have, if you look at the way magnets work, physical magnets, mm. if you put a north end of a magnet to the north end of a mag, another magnet, they'll repel each other. Opposite ends of a magnet attract themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not like attracts like, at least not on the surface it isn't. And, wow. and that confused me. Like, why, how could that be? That's an interesting thing, you know? Then I, I thought about some more and I realized, well, actually, there is an answer to that one. But, uh, there, there yeah. My, my, my first reaction though was, well, wait a minute. And I was looking at a number of things in life where it seemed like like didn't attract like. I mean, there's an old phrase that people have been, a cliche people have been carrying out for years. Opposites attract. Hmm. And it turns out they really don't. It is interesting how often people with opposite traits do come together, but, but that isn't what draws them together, it turns out. But if you look at it, a teacher doesn't look for a teacher. A teacher looks for a student. A student doesn't yep. look for a student. He looks for a teacher. That's right. And that is like attracts like. That, it certainly is. It's a vibration of wanting to know this information. That's a vibration of the teacher wanting to teach the information, and that vibration is perfect. Right. Exactly. Now, that's, one, that's a perfect example of how it's easy to get confused because mm -hmm. teacher and student, those seem like they're opposites, yeah. and yet they're attracting. No, now they aren't truly opposites, and that's the part that Abraham taught me that made the hugest difference in the world, understanding what a true opposite is. Yeah. The opposites are thing and lack of thing. 
Yeah. And and when I understood that, I was like, oh, well, no wonder. There are all these things that I thought were opposites, and they're not really opposites. Yeah. <laughs> the double-ended stick when you start looking at all subjects as two subjects is yeah. so liberating. Oh. So liberating. Yeah. Somebody asked on uh, Facebook, what's your favorite? Abraham, what's the what's the most important thing you ever learned from Abraham? And that was my answer, the two-ended stick. That was it. Mm. Yeah. Mine would be the emotions of your guidance. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I, I think I'd put that certainly top five, maybe top three. But for me, two-handed stick, that was just mind-blowing. I couldn't believe I was not aware of that until they said oh, it. It was so in your face and you didn't see it. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But when you hear it for the first time, you say, whoa, oh, my goodness, explosion. <laughs> and then all this stuff starts flying through your mind like, oh, there's this and 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 there's this. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. You can start actually understanding politics for the first time. Uh, well, actually, I already understood politics much more than I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, – no, I have to tell you, I, I can't agree on this, and that is uh, understanding that confirmed a whole bunch of stuff for me where politics was concerned, stuff I'd already learned, but I hadn't turned it into a general rule like yeah. this. You know, So when I had a general rule, I was like, oh, well, of course – I already knew that, but that, that makes sense. Here's evidence, 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 evidence. That was all lining up really nicely at that point. But no, I learned the, I learned about how politics works the hard way, not the easy way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was fascinated by myself as I could never get behind any group that was pushing against anything. Um, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't fight for the right of this. I couldn't fight for the right of that. And I couldn't mm -hmm. fight for. For, for, you know, you name it. I just couldn't mm -hmm. do it. And I was wondering, and it felt so wrong for me to do it. And I was like, mm -hmm. but you know, they, they seem so genuine and right and convinced that they're doing it. Well, they're passionate. That's mm -hmm. why it's the passion that's, that's coming through really <clears throat> quickly. But when you understand every subject's two subjects, you could act, I could actually go out and do that now, but I'd be focused on wanted and not wanted. I'd be focused on a peace rally, not an anti-war rally, you know. <laughs> And there, there's no better way to quickly lose a following than to do that because the following all want to do it the hard way. They don't know that, but that's yeah. what they want. They yeah, want you to lose hard. your following. <laughs> yeah. Abram says uh, it's quite interesting that when you do become successful and when everything starts working out for you, you'll start finding people resenting you. Yes. <laughs> and it's true. And, and it's the true. reason is quite interesting. The reason is because, um, the stark contrast between where you are and where they are is now clearer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Yeah. It's a, it's a funny thing to think about when, when your vibration raises, when it rises up hmm. and it increases, if everyone else's vibration doesn't, you're moving farther apart from them vibrationally. Yeah. We don't think about it that way. And you'll That's start not making the way new friends. <laughs> yeah, you make new friends. Yeah, like, where do you come from? <laughs> like, you'll be doing a podcast, and all of a sudden this guy will contact you and say, hey, I've, I've been following your podcast. I'd like to be a co-host. And I say, well, what's your name? Oh, it's uh, Louis D'Souza. Oh, Louis. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But that's how it happens. I mean, you know, you just never know exactly what's going to happen in that. But you know it's going to happen just because your vibration changes. So, cool stuff. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Our hour is up. Our hour is up, but I'm looking forward to uh, doing chapter, probably two chapters next week, seven and eight, because I think they're shorter chapters at this point. Yeah, so that'll be cool. Yep, good stuff to do. Thank you to uh, you. Thank you to our live stream and podcast listeners as well. And we will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Thank Goodbye, you, everybody. Carpe diem. Carpe diem.